Well, thank you all for gathering with us here at Mission Church. Uh, we are so thankful that you have gathered with us on this morning, particularly the, the, the day in which that we set aside as believers, as followers in Jesus, as the kind of epic day in our uh, kind of Christian holiday calendar is that on this day that we set aside as, as we try to do every Sunday, uh, a focus on the person and work of Jesus, and particularly the, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. So uh, my name is Eric Baker, and I'm one of the pastors here at Mission. And so on behalf of myself and those of us who call Mission Church our church home, thank you guys uh, for being with us. If you're gathering with us on Facebook Live today, uh, thank you as well for uh, joining with us on this glorious, glorious day. If you have your Bibles or your devices and you want to turn with me to the book of Exodus, I know that out of uh, tradition, you are probably coming here today uh, thinking that I was going to turn to the back end of one of the Gospels to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, uh, but the value and importance of the resurrection of Jesus is pointed to throughout the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and we are currently in a series through the book of Exodus that today is going to ramp up and point us right to the person and work of Jesus. And so, if you have your Bibles or your devices and you want to follow along with me. I do have quite a bit to read here this morning, but I'll try to make it through as best as I possibly can. You try to focus with me, and uh, then we're going to jump right into teaching and preaching on this text here today. So Exodus chapter 11 says this, the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and the firstborn of all the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out! you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he sent out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people go out of the land, out of his hand. Land, excuse me. Chapter 12. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep of, or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its leg and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statuette forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold an assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you, by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or native of the land, you shall not eat, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip the blood 
that was in the basin and touched the lintel of the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house into the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, and the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. This is the word of the Lord. For those of us who have been over at mission or here at mission over the last several months as we've been covering these plagues, this moment has led up to this event. Back in Exodus chapter 4, God tells Moses and he tells the people, here's the deal, I'm going to send these plagues, I'm going to outstretch the bow of my wrath upon the Egyptians, the oppressor of my bride, the oppressor of my people. And he tells them that Pharaoh is not going to listen. And because he will not listen, that one day will come where he will take Pharaoh's son. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking as God establishes himself in his holiness, in his character, and in his nature, that he will not share his throne with anyone or anything. And behind each one of the now nine plagues that we have encountered over the last several weeks, God has specifically been executing judgment on real small g gods behind all of the locusts, all of the darkness, all of the boils, that there had been these demonic uh, presences that God has, has been executing death upon, judgment upon, and it ramps up and culminates to what God so or told in Exodus chapter 4. 
Last week, we talked about the plague of darkness and how that this represented that this was the God Amen-Ra, or Ra, and that he was the God of the sun, which he, they worshiped. And it was believed that within him, as you saw the sun rise, that God was rising throughout the day and that as the sun went down, that he was dying only to repeat this process over and over with each new passing day, as God would be both uh, resurrected, live, die, to only be, again, uh, resurrected to live and to die. This was the belief of the Egyptians. It's believed that the Pharaoh was the son of God. He was the son of Ra. He was the incarnation of this demonic God in the sky. And so as, as God has addressed each one of these Egyptian gods, he, sa- he saves the incarnated one, the, the Pharaoh of the Egyptians, believed it, again to be the incarnation of the god Ra, that God will step in to finally execute judgment on the very, again, incarnation, the presence, the demonic uh, presence behind this force and behind this economy as, again, God is God alone. God has illustrated over and over again that, that He is a God of absolute power. He has shown mercy and grace even to the Egyptians, and He has specifically set His people apart from the Egyptians. However, we saw that in the passage that we read here today, that God promises that on this last plague, that he is not only going to discipline the Egyptians, but he is also going to discipline the Israelites. See, the Egyptians were obsessed with death and the afterlife and and hopefully resurrection. That's why we have the pyramids. That's why there are people today probably digging in the middle of a sandbox looking for for artifacts and, and all of these sorts of things called tombs. Why? Because the Egyptians were obsessed with this mentality. The Bible will later tell us, ladies and gentlemen, that even though the Israelites are God's people, that they are found within this time of slavery under the Egyptians as also worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. So it wasn't that the Egyptians just had these false gods and Israel only had Yahweh, but the culture had infiltrated the people of God to where they were mixing Yahweh worship, God worship, big G God worship, with the worship of all of these other gods and goddesses. When Pharaoh's son is killed in this event, the son of God dies. The son of Ra dies. See, ladies and gentlemen, because God is just, he must punish the wicked. To remain true to who he is, he he must punish both the, the Egyptians and the Israelites. God will tell the uh, the, our first parents in Genesis, right? He, he would tell them, he would say that if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. That you will 
die. If you disobey my word, then you are going to die. I will kill you. Not only will you experience physical death, but you will even in a more extreme manner experience spiritual death. God is saying from the book of Genesis, at the fall of our parents, when sin entered into their lives and therefore entered into all of our lives, not by simply what we do, but because of our very nature, God is saying this. He's like, you're going to be separated from me in your sin. Exodus tells us and shows us that this death sentence will affect all of us who are rebellious against God. Both the man who sits on Pharaoh's throne and also simultaneously the slave girl and her child. Everyone is going to encompass in this wrathful move of God. Why? Because all have sinned. Both the Egyptian and the Israelites. It reminds me of something I learned about a long time ago. Some of you guys grew up in a church that they would teach you um, how to evangelize and share the gospel with other people by by doing what? It's called the Romans Road. This is found inside the New Testament, and, and all of this Exodus story is pointing to the depths of sin in each and every one of us, as in Romans 3.23, when it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says that sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. In Romans 6.23, it says, for the wage of sin is death. Now, I got up really early this morning. I, I just couldn't sleep anymore. I got up and then, I mean, I got here even really, really early this morning because I, I just, I could not wait to get here. And anytime that I'm in a rush to get somewhere, my right foot weighs a little bit more than the rest of my body. And I was driving through our subdivision and uh, down through Elrod Road close to Western Kentucky Farm, um, moving rather quickly, not realizing it. When I popped over this small hill there at Warehouser, we used to be Warehouser, um, there was a cop. Well, I did what any good Christian would do, I prayed. Lord Jesus, on your most holy day, do not give me what I deserve. Because if that brother would have pulled me over, I'd have had to say, well, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Here's my checkbook. Why? Because I was guilty, friends. I was guilty. The payment for my sin must be paid. And God is a man of his word. He promises, if you rebel against me, if you join against sin, Satan, and death's rebellion against me, you will surely die. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter if you've got a lot of money, if you ain't got no money, if you live in a cardboard box, or if you live in, in, in Old Stone, no matter where you live in between, that sin has permeated every person who will ever be made's nature. That little baby you got, sinner. 
that granny who you think can do no wrong. Sinner in desperate need of Jesus. And the Bible reminds us that there is one statistic that you can all guarantee, and that is this, is that death comes to everyone. See, you and I sin, no matter how small or how big that we think that is, is is treason against God. It is a capital offense against God's character and his nature and his holiness and his goodness and his mercy. And so this creator God creates all these things and yet man has a great problem. Women have a great problem, don't we? Sin. We're all bent to it. Like a mosquito toward a bug zapper. We're constantly being pulled and drawn, not only with what we would do with our actions, but the attitudes and the affections of our hearts are constantly being pulled and tainted and and just tempted as we drift toward wanting to be God ourselves. So we know this. The Bible illustrates this over and over and over again, that he is this creator God, but that man has this very serious problem. And yet, what does God show us, even up to this point in Genesis and in Exodus, is that God always provides. See, the judgment of God was and is coming, and yet God, who is rich in his mercy and grace, does what? Provides a substitute for these people. He provides a substitute for these people. He goes to them and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do is I want you to go to your flock or go to your, if you can't afford one of these, then you get with your neighbors. All right. The Nugget Drive Mafia is here today. Thank you guys for gathering. You know, they were throwing out eggs everywhere, having a cookout in driveways yesterday. It's us getting together and saying, hey, here's the deal. We got to get some lambs here. So the Bible tells us that on this particular night that the wrath of God is going to come. His righteous, just wrath is going to come, but he's going to provide a way out. And what does he say? He says, man, I want you to find a lamb, a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish. Find the very best lamb that you can find. And then here's here's the kicker, though. Invite it into your house. Make it a pet. Let your kids play with it. Let them run their hands through its wool. Give it a name. For so many days and, and so many nights, I, I want you to take care of this lamb. But then on this particular night, what I want you to do is, is you're going to kill and roast and, and slaughter that lamb. You're going to go outside of your house and and over the the doorpost of your house, you're going to take a hyssop branch and you're going to use it like a paintbrush and you're going to paint over the the covering of your door. And you're not to leave, you're not to exit, no one else can come in. But man, you, you come in your house, you paint over your door the blood of the lamb. And when God's rightful wrath comes, it will pass over your house. Could you imagine the kids that night that don't kill the lamb? Could you imagine the the mess 
See, it was bloody. It was hard to watch. And yet, it was necessary that a life for a life, that sin must be paid for. The firstborn sons of the Israelites were spared, not because they were less guilty than the Egyptians. They were spared because the spotless lamb had died in their place. The blood of the lamb turned away, again, the just wrath of God. And when God saw it in that moment, the one who can give both life and death, and when he saw that the life-giving source of this animal was placed upon the covering of this home, then he would graciously pass over it. Why? Because his wrath would be satisfied. The innocent would die so that the guilty would live. We see this, don't we? Back in Genesis, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sin against God, when they rebel against God, when they tell God, point their finger at God and say, I want your throne. The Bible says that before then they were naked and not ashamed, but they quickly, after sinning against God, tried to cover themselves with And yet God, even in this moment, even though he must send them out, what does the Bible tells us that he does? It says that it kills an animal to do what? To make clothing from, to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness. How many of you guys remember Joseph and his brothers? That little punk. And if you don't know why he's a punk, go home and read some Genesis today. Early on, that brother was troubled. When his brothers sent him out for slavery, right? When they sold him, they had to trick their daddy because he was a daddy's boy. Daddy loved him. He was was daddy's favorite, right? That in some way convinced they needed the funds. They wanted the money in selling their brother. And yet they had to come back and convince their something. And and yet we see this this killing of this animal as, as the Bible tells us they take the money and then to cover over their sin, what do they do? They, they kill an animal and dip the coat of many colors into the what? Blood. They attempted to cover their sin with the blood of this animal pretending that it was their brother's. This kind of culminates up into this point in a story about Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Abraham, uh, God finally tells uh, Abraham, hey, I need to see that you are faithful. I need to see that you're going to take me at your word. And so I need, you to, I need you to sacrifice to take the life of your son. The Bible tells us that they go up to the top of a mountain and they're, they're packing wood upon, the, that Isaac is packing wood upon his shoulders. That he goes to the top of this mountain to be what? Sacrificed. He looks at his daddy and he says, where's the lamb? The Lord will provide. And as they go through this process, and as Isaac is about to be sacrificed in faith before God, they look over, and what is caught in a thorn bush by its head? A ram. 
and the Lord provided. Instead of Isaac being sacrificed that day, who is sacrificed, the animal who's caught in a, in a thorn bush and around his head, and, and Abraham and Isaac, they rush, they, they get the, the, the ram, and they, they put it on the altar of sacrifice, and instead of the knife coming down on the very son of Abraham, it comes down on the substitute covering the altar. Blood of the sacrifice. See, what God has required of you, friend, because of your sin, He provides. All of this is doing what? All of this is, is pointing towards Jesus, isn't it? All of this is pointing towards who Jesus is. Last week on Sunday, it was tradi traditionally within the Protestant uh, churches, is that we celebrate what's called Palm Sunday, right? And, and, and this is the day that we talked about last week where, where there were just thousands upon thousands of people had ascended upon Jerusalem. Why? Because it's Passover week. And what has our scripture just told us? That they're to practice this and to remember this for, for the forever future. And in a few weeks, I'm actually going to preach on the Passover meal, but we're focusing on this, this sacrificial lamb here today. On Palm Sunday, there is the praises of Jesus as they believe that he is an earthly king that has come forth to set them anew, to put them in physical earthly power on the earth. The Israelites, since the Exodus, have been in and out of bondage. But on this day, because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, then surely this is the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. To the screens and to the shout, to the waving of palm branches, to the laying down of coats, they're singing Hosanna, Hos or Hosanna, if you're Catholic, uh, over and over and over and over again as, as they're screaming out that word that means save us now. Did you also know that because it's Passover week, that it's on Palm Sunday, that shepherds are leading thousands upon thousands of lambs into the city. Not only is Jerusalem overrun with people, but it is overran with lambs. This is why in the last seven days of Jesus' earthly ministry before the cross and resurrection, that midway through the week, where do we see Jesus? He goes to the temple and Jesus is being real sweet. Jesus is really happy. No, Jesus goes to worship. He goes to worship the only true living God, the God of the Bible, His Father. He goes to worship God, and He, and he sees both rich and poor, and, but they're struggling to get into the, the, the courts to worship. Why? Because all of these merchants have turned the church house into a marketplace, upselling lambs. To poor people in such a way that they could not obey God's word that we see here in Exodus. 
And what does Jesus do? I believe this is about Wednesday in the story. He gets a whip. He turns over the table. And he cries out. You turn a place of prayer, a place of worship, into a den of thieves. Jesus is a Jew. Jesus is an Israelite. Jesus would have celebrated the Passover for somewhere around 33 years. This would have been common practice, but there's something different about this Passover that's now a thousand plus years from what we just read in Exodus. And what are the Israelites still doing? Worshiping the Passover, still eating the lamb, still sacrificing the animal. Jerusalem on on Friday of the Passover will be flowing literally with people and with blood. The blood of the lamb. This is why Jesus gathers on what we call Maudie Thursday. See, in the Jewish calendar... The Sabbath is from sunset through the night to sunset the next day. So from Thursday evening to Friday evening is their day when most people and most families will be gathering to have the meal that we just talked about in Exodus. They would traditionally do that on on the Friday afternoon before it gets dark. And yet, what do we see Jesus doing? He has it before everyone else. And you have to come back in a few weeks and I'll tell you why. But he sits down with these teenage boys. Maybe the oldest one is in his early 20s. We call it the Lord's Supper. But it's a celebration of the Passover. And he looks at these these young men who have, again, grown up Jewish, and this has been a part of their custom. It's as custom as as me wearing a tie, because again, funerals or Easter, you see my tie, because my mama's going to be at Easter and funerals. That's just what's expected, right? We have these traditions, these things that we do. And so the Passover, by the time we get to the New Testament, is what? It's commonplace. It's happening all the time. And so, man, they, they get out. I mean, th- again, this is a party. It is a celebration. This meal that they're eating with all of these young men, and they're just going through the motions. I mean, that, I, there's maybe music playing. There's, there's food to be had. There's not just the little bitty shot glass with some grape juice in it. I mean, these brothers and sisters are tossing back some wine at this meal. And Jesus eats with them to do what? To honor the Passover, to get them to think back to something that happened. Jesus will gather with his disciples to eat this meal on this night, the night before he will be crucified. The meal is significant because it is what? The Passover meal. Jesus was saying, I am the Passover lamb. I am the sacrificial lamb. Again, this is why John will tell us in his his gospel, behold the lamb of God who does what? 
takes away the sins of the world. In Hebrews, the author there will tell us in chapter 4, tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but without sin. Hebrews will later tell us in chapter 9 that they will tell us that, that Jesus offered himself as unblemished to God. What was the requirement of the lamb? It would be spotless, that it would be without blemish. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, John could have said anything. But what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is this sacrificial Lamb. Jesus is reminding them that He it was flawless, that He is perfect, that Jesus committed no sin, and yet the Bible will tell us that upon the cross, that though Jesus was without blemish, that he took on all of our blemishes, that he became sin for us. Even as Jesus would stand before Pontius Pilate awaiting execution, even this Roman pagan looks at Jesus and looks at the people and says, what? I can find no fault in this man. Jesus, on that Friday afternoon and all of the events that would take place from, from this Passover meal as Judas would portray him, as he would go to a mockery of a court, as he would be beaten beyond recognition, as a crown of thorns would not be placed upon a ram, but be placed upon the, the very head of this man. This unblemished man becomes just tainted in blood and dirt and all sorts of substances as they place a a mockery, you know, crown upon his head, a, a robe upon his back as he marched through the most holy of cities where they once were claiming, save us now, are willing and able to, to want a real criminal in Barabbas. And yet Jesus walks. He walks carrying that wood on his back, which is a picture of Isaac and Abraham. Naked, beaten, nails in his hands. And the one drop of this lamb's blood was perfect and holy enough to to cover uh, uh, all types of all types of people's sins. And yet what do we see Jesus do upon the cross? Jesus would bleed out for his people. He would bleed out for his bride. He would bleed out for his church. And and if you are in Christ today, then you know that he has bled out for you what God must have in his holiness, what God must be satisfied. You and I cannot provide, but the lamb, the lamb of God, the spotless lamb of God can. See, the, the blood of the lambs could never cover and take away all away the sins of all the people for all time. But the blood of Jesus would in, infinitely cover the sins of his people. This is why Paul would eventually say in 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. In all of Exodus, specifically this meal, 
that God institutes in Exodus chapter 11 and 12. It is all pointing to painting a picture of this Jesus. Romans will tell us that we have now been justified by his blood. Ephesians would tell us that in him we have redemption through his, what? His blood for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 13, 12 would tell us Jesus suffered to make people holy through his blood. Peter would tell us you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. John will tell us the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Hebrews 9.22 would say this, without the shedding of blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins. Brothers, sisters, friends, you were born way more evil than you could ever imagine. We daily are seeking to be in God's throne. We are daily fighting, wanting to be rebellious in the masters of our own domain. We are born, we are born evil. We live, we die, and then comes judgment. Friends, your greatest threat is not cancer. Your greatest threat against your life is God himself. It is standing before this God. And yet, what do we know? He is our greatest hope. He is our greatest hope. God is saving you from himself. What God required, only Jesus could give as our substitute. The lamb, the lamb who was slain. The book of Exodus that we just read from tells the people to do what? To do this a lot, to remember this day, to remember this day. Exodus, remember this day. Sacrifice these animals, eat the, the, the blood of these animals, eat, eat, eat the unleavened, eat the bitter herbs, all these things. God does not want us to forget because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of reminders on my phone because I'm prone to forget. And what does Jesus do at the Passover? Remember me. Remember me. When you eat and when you drink, remember, remember me. Why? Because as the Egyptians and the Israelites stood exposed before God's wrath, so shall you and I stand before him for our own adultery. We are all sinners by nature. We have all fallen short. None of us is righteous. You will never be good enough to stand before him blameless but you will stand before him. On that day, you will either represent yourself and hand God your resume. You will offer him your resume of all of your good works, believing and hoping that you have enough good things in your good bucket that God will overlook all the bad things in your bad bucket. And the Bible is very clear. 
none of your good works will ever appease the wrath of God. Or, or what? You can stand humbled in faith, covered in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, as your substitute. He will stand in your place. Not by your works, but by His good pleasure and His gift of faith to you. In the book of Revelation, in closing, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks again, but in the book of Revelation, if you Bible gateway in the ESV version, the word lamb in the New Testament. You'll see it used over 30 times in the book of Revelation as Jesus is this dichotomy of this warrior lion. And yet he is a lamb. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. See, on the day that Jesus died, he appeased God's wrath against you and against me. But on Sunday, on Sunday, he defeated the schemes of sin, Satan, and death in so much that he defeats evil in the way that you and I are, are prone to want to live in rebellion toward God because of Jesus and because of being washed in the blood of the Lamb. You and I now have a new direction, a new glory, a new way of living that is not focused on self, but is focused on the Lamb, the worthy that all of creation, by the time you get to Revelation chapter 5, that all these creatures and all of, all of God's creation creation is not focusing on each other, but they're focusing on the lamb who was slain because he is the only one who is worthy. Jesus stands as the resurrected warrior inside the book of Revelation, and he's offering the keys of life to people who will receive him in faith. So I ask you this morning, the, the questions of a song Have you, friend, have you been washed in the Jesus? Have, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Do not wait. Come to Jesus. Are you washed in the blood 
of the Lamb? Are, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you, friend, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Because you may be living your best life now, but there will be a great cry as there was in Egypt for all of those who do not trust the blood of the Lamb. And so I beg with you, I plead with you not to be churched up and definitely not American Christian churched up, but I'm pleading with you. Are you covered in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus? Do you really know Him? He is your only hope against God the Father. Do you know this, Jesus? Does your life illustrate that he is the lamb worthy of all praise. I, again, I, I plead with you. I, I beg the Lord to move in your heart, to arrest your hearts. This is not a game. It's not just cool that this is what we do on Easter Sunday morning or Resurrection Sunday. This is life and death. And Jesus, the Bible, God himself is saying, life can only be found through me. All other ground is sinking sand, but is on Christ, this solid rock that we stand. He had to appease the Father in his death. But Jesus had to just demolish that scumbag sin, Satan, and death in his resurrection. Do you trust that? Do you believe that today? Let's pray.